Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Catherine Hegel, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more issues with dog joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. Listener, I've watched this video, and honestly, it's 20 minutes well spent. The health of my animals means everything to me. This stuff has improved the coats and energy of mine, and they love it. Normally, they are picky with food, but they really enjoy this stuff. Go to badlandsfood.com slash obscura and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D.com slash obscura. With Mother's Day around the corner, are you thinking about a truly special gift for your mom? Let me tell you about mylifeinabook.com. It's a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Pretty cool, right? Here's how it works. Every week, mylifeinabook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions you wish to ask. And then... She can either type her response or record her voice. And mylifeinabook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. And guess what? They can even create an audiobook using her voice recordings. It's like preserving her voice and her stories for eternity. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventure, and the challenges she overcame. The book becomes a legacy, something you and future generations can treasure forever. Your mom's given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. Personally, I love my life in a book. I tried it with my mom, and I've heard stories I'd never heard before because, you know, they just never came up naturally in conversation. It's easy to use, and my favorite part is it's given me more of an excuse to talk to my mom more. You know, it's not always easy to come up with those on your own. Listener. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code OBSCURA at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use code OBSCURA for 10% off today. The following audio may contain graphic descriptions of violence or audio clips of real-life distressing moments. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Obscura, where we shine a light on the dark. Welcome, listener. I'm glad you're here. You know... There's a topic that's been weighing heavy on my mind. 
There is so much sexual abuse in Hollywood. It has gotten to a point that when a new scandal drops, I am no longer surprised. Recently, The Atlantic published an expose on movie director Brian Singer, who, to put it mildly, after years of mounting rumors, is alleged to have behaved inappropriately with a number of underage actors. It would seem that a curtain is being lifted on an ongoing issue. The only problem is that it was never a secret. I'm talking, of course, about widespread pedophilia and aphebophilia in the entertainment industry. It's a topic that isn't easy to discuss, but it's an important one. It's the kind of story where the truth begins to blur and far-flung conspiracy theories emerge. For decades, the signs of something very bizarre going on with certain people drawn to the entertainment industry were there. Shirley Temple Black, who had been Hollywood's first child star, began acting at the age of three years old and was likely one of the first victims of the industry. In her autobiography, fittingly titled Child Star, she alleged that an MGM movie executive exposed himself to her. Shirley explained in an interview with Larry King that she was only 12 years old at the time. I went to MGM for one picture, thank goodness only one, and when I got there with my mother, we were separated. She went into the office of Louis B. Mayer, and I went into the office of Arthur Freed. And he was going to talk to me about a, a movie he wanted to put me in. I'm 12 years old, you know. And I thought he was a producer, but instead he was an exhibitor. And I'd never seen anyone naked before, except myself. So I had no clue about what was happening. And um, so it struck me so funny, I laughed at him. And I laughed uproariously. I had tears, you know. And he got infuriated. And he said, out, 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 go. Well, I went down. I was very quiet. I went down and met her in the lobby of the administration building. She came up very quietly from Louis B. Mayer's office. And we walked hand in hand silently to the car, which was unusual. We got in the car driving home. I said, Mom, you won't believe what happened to me. And I told her what happened, and she got kind of quiet. And she said, well, you don't know what happened to me. Shirley Temple Black wouldn't be the only actress to make sexual harassment or assault allegations against the former executives at MGM. Judy Garland was allegedly pawed and groped by Louis B. Mayer and other studio employees relentlessly, beginning when she was only 16 years old. As far back as 1942, Australian actor Errol Flynn would become one of the first in Hollywood to become embroiled in a sex scandal. His victims had all been minors. Both 17 years old, Peggy Satterley and Betty Hansen, claimed that Flynn, who had been in his 30s at the time, had statutorily raped them. The charges would be dismissed after Flynn's lawyer made a case that the girls had both been promiscuous. A 1995 article published in the Los Angeles Times explains, Hansen made no protest when Flynn locked the bedroom door, and Satterley had several affairs with married men and one abortion. In his closing argument, Giesler stressed that the girls were lying to avoid felony charges for abortion and oral copulation. The highly publicized Errol Flynn sex scandal case would set a precedence in Hollywood. It would give rise to an attitude of, boys will be boys. 
where older men sexually harassing or assaulting young women or girls was not only tolerated, but celebrated. It also helped to create an atmosphere where if anyone came forward with allegations, the blame was placed squarely on the shoulders of the victims. After the trial, Flynn would marry 19-year-old Nora Eddington, but the pair would eventually separate and Flynn would spend his last days in the arms of another teenage girl he'd been statutorily raping. By his side at the time of his death was a 17-year-old girl named Beverly Anland, who had been 15 years old when she and Flynn had begun to have an affair. The relationship was well documented, with Anland portrayed as a girl who had been mature beyond her years. David English, the late chairman and editor-of-chief at Associated Newspapers, once wrote Anland was, Practically the nearest living thing to Lolita that I shall see in my lifetime. You would be hard-pressed to find any criticism of Flynn in regards to the relationship, who had been 50 years old at the time of his death. Roman Polanski would become one of the first major Hollywood players to be charged and convicted for his inappropriate sexual conduct with a minor. In 1977, Samantha Gailey was only 13 years old when she met director Roman Polanski. Samantha had been working as a model and was asked to pose for some photos. Polanski asked the girl to remove her top. Several weeks later, Polanski invited Samantha to go to Jack Nicholson's home where Polanski could take more photos of the young model and aspiring actress. Polanski would be charged with sodomy, molestation, and furnishing dangerous drugs to a minor. She is not a, a child. She's a young woman. She had uh, and testified uh, to it previous uh, sexual experience. She wasn't unschooled in sexual matters. Uh, she was consenting. With the help of his lawyer, the judge agreed to drop Polanski's charges with the exception of illegal sexual intercourse. If Polanski agreed to enter a guilty plea, Polanski agreed to the plea deal and would spend 42 days in prison, but within days of his release, Pictures emerge of Polanski drinking and partying with young girls at an Oktoberfest event. The judge ordered Polanski to return to prison. Instead, Polanski fled to France, where he has been living for over 40 years. Four more women have since come forward to allege that they had also been raped as minors by the director. Accusations of child sex abuse against prominent figures in the entertainment industry would continue to trickle out through the media. In 1992, it was discovered that Woody Allen had been having an affair with his ex-wife Mia Farrow's 22-year-old daughter, Sunyi Previn. The affair would lead to a bitter divorce and a fiery custody battle between Allen and Farrow. It was during this time that Allen and Farrow's 7-year-old daughter, Dylan Farrow, came forward with sexual abuse allegations against Allen. Allen would call these accusations unconscionable in an interview with the news television program 60 Minutes. Look, be be logical about this. I'm I'm 57. Isn't it illogical that I'm going to, at the height of a a very bitter, acrimonious custody fight, drive up to Connecticut, where nobody likes me in the house. I'm I'm with a house full of enemies. I mean, Mia was so enraged at me, and and she had gotten all the kids to to be angry at me, that I'm going to drive up there. And suddenly, on visitation, p- 
pick this moment in my life to become a child molester. It's just, it's just incredible. I could, if I wanted to be a child molester, I had many opportunities in the past. I could have quietly made a, a, a custody settlement with Mia in some way and done it in the future. I mean, you know, it's so insane. Alan was cleared on charges. Dylan Farrow would echo the same story she had told more than 20 years ago in an op-ed piece she wrote in the Los Angeles Times in December 2017. An editor's note reads, Woody Allen, who declined to comment prior to publication, has long denied the allegations described in this op-ed. Dylan Farrow's allegations against Allen were investigated by sex abuse experts at Yale New Haven Hospital, found no evidence of abuse. Some question their methodology. A state's attorney in Connecticut said he had probable cause to prosecute in 1993, but did not file charges. Dylan would also share her story on CBS. I uh, was taken to a small attic crawl space in uh, my mother's uh, country house in Connecticut um, by my father. He instructed me to lay down on my stomach and play with my brother's toy train that was set up. And uh, he sat behind me in the doorway. And as I played with the toy train, I was sexually assaulted. The victims weren't only young girls. At just 11 years old, child actor Nathan Forrest Winters would get his first break starring in a movie directed by Victor Salva. It would be on the set of Salva's debut film, Clown House, where Salva began forcing Nathan to give and receive oral sex, where Salva filmed it. In an interview with Sky News, Nathan explained how Salva had groomed him over time. His grooming process was developing my love and trust and developing my parents' trust. And so essentially he became a close friend of the family and then that turned into where it was just like everything for him was sexual. Videotape all of it, I mean, it was, it was full blown. Some of the cast and crew came to my mom and said, you know, Nathan and Victor's interaction on set is not okay. There is something going on. Nathan would take his story to his parents and Salva would be arrested. In 1988, Salva was sentenced to serve three years in prison, but was released after only serving 15 months. In 1995, Salva had been hired by Disney to direct the movie Powder. Disney's decision to hire a convicted pedophile to direct one of their films sparked controversy, with some moviegoers bound to boycott Disney if executives refused to fire Salva. The controversy had little sway over the director's career, and he continues to produce movies for the Jeepers Creepers franchise. Many other victims would come forward with allegations of sexual misconduct against people in the entertainment industry in the years to follow, some of which were made by men and women who had been minors at the time. Among them had been actor Corey Feldman. Is it true that Michael Jackson gave you a hand? Um, well, me and Michael are friends, but uh, he didn't help me. Um, just all the stuff I do is on my own. But it looks so much like him when you're dancing. Well, all these little, little moves you make. It's just like Michael Jackson. Well, I suppose that's a good compliment. He must be a good influence on you, then. Yes, he is. He's nice. a good influence. 
I think, uh, well, it's embarrassing, you know. <laughs> Why? In case people don't laugh. Well, yeah, well, it's, I'm shy, you know, and uh, it's embarrassing to, um, you know, to do something like that because you're sticking your neck out. And it's hard to get up and be so bold, you know, sassy. What Feldman began exploring was drugs. He had an addiction to cocaine, LSD, and heroin that cost him his fortune and nearly his career. Legally emancipated from his parents at 16, he ran with a wild Hollywood crowd and by age 18 had been arrested twice for drug possession. He finally checked himself into a rehab clinic in December of 1990 after hitting bottom. I was $150,000 in debt and I had lost everything. I had lost my car, I had lost my house. Uh, I was emotionally, spiritually, financially and physically bankrupt in all areas of my life. During the 1980s, Feldman was part of a Hollywood teenager, It Crowd. So when Feldman was cast along with fellow Hollywood teen It Crowd member Corey Haim for the movie Lost Boys, both will be propelled to superstar status. Guess what? Corey Haim and Corey Feldman are giving out their personal numbers. If you call 1-900-909-3700, you can listen to their private phone messages and get their personal number where you can leave them a message of your own. $2 the first minute, 45 cents each additional minute. Ask your parents before you call. 1-900-909-3700. If you call me right now, I'll give you my private number. Um, you call that number and you'll hear a recording and I'll give you my personal number if you call that. Um, and we'll... Being collectively referred to as the Corys, Feldman and Haim struggled to maintain their own identities separate from one another. This struggle to maintain their autonomy put a strain on their friendship, combined with dark secrets Feldman and Haim shared. Secrets that have since been the subject of controversy. In 2008, Corey Haim and Corey Feldman would attempt to reconcile their friendship. Corey Haim, who had been publicly struggling with addiction issues, agreed to move in with Feldman and his wife Susie. The whole ordeal would be set to film as a reality show, documenting the life of the two Corys. In the episode that would air to kick off season two of the show in 2008, Heyman Feldman would have an explosive conversation about sexual abuse they experienced as teenage actors. In less than a minute, viewers were given a lot to unpack about the dark side of growing up in the spotlight. I'll go you one better. You let me get around in my life, man, raped, so to speak. When I was about 14 and a half, and I'm saying this right now, by the guy you so f***ing hang out with, and tell me I'm 14 and a half, take responsibility. You know exactly what I'm talking about. What'd you do, man, when you saw that going down when I was 14 to me? What'd you do? You knew about it, besides being his best friend. What'd you do? What'd you do? Tell us what you did, man. I believe Blinds I was... of cocaine with me. You, God you, bless you. You, you want to talk about the truth? Okay, well, then let's talk about the truth. I was being molested at the same time by somebody else. What'd you do? What'd you do? Talk to you about it. You talked to me about yeah, it? Yeah, sure. You told me while I was sleeping, this happened, this happened. I'm like, dude, right. you weren't sleeping? Yeah, I was sleeping. Tried to talk to you about it. Yeah. Sure. Were you sleeping? I was awake, Corey. Okay. I was very aware of what's going on with me. Shortly after the season premiere, Corey Feldman would sit down with GQ magazine, explain why he and Haim were going public with these secrets many years later. That was one of those things that we discussed not bringing up, and then Haim brought it up anyway. You know how there's one thing your friend's got against you and that he could use it as blackmail anytime? That was the one thing. The bottom line is, I know who it was. I didn't know how to cut him off. Not only did I continue being friends with the guy, but he was working for me. 
AIM also sat down with GQ for an interview and refused to go into any further detail about the sexual abuse he had endured as a teenager. Tragically, AIM died of pneumonia in 2010. He never publicly named his abuser. The following year, Corey Feldman revealed he would be publishing a book detailing the sexual abuse he and AIM faced as child stars, calling pedophilia Hollywood's biggest problem. I can tell you that the number one problem in Hollywood was and is and always will be pedophilia. That's the biggest problem for children in this industry. The casting couch even applies to children. Oh, yeah. Not in the same way. It's all done under the radar. Nobody talks about pedophilia. It's the big secret. And it's widespread? Oh, yeah. I was surrounded by them when I was 14 years old. Surrounded. Literally. Didn't even know it. It wasn't until I was old enough to realize what they were and what they wanted and what they were about and the types of people that were surrounding me till I went, oh my God, they were everywhere like vultures. There was a circle of older men that surrounded themselves around this group of kids. And they all had either their own power or connections to great power in the entertainment industry. Feldman's memoir, Choreography, would hit shelves in 2013, and with it would come some sobering revelations. Feldman not only went into detail about his abusers, but included intimate details about the alleged ongoing sexual abuse of Corey Haim throughout the time the pair were friends. Within hours of our first meeting, we found ourselves talking about Lucas, the film he made in the summer of 1985, the role I'd wanted for myself. At some point during filming, he explained an adult male convinced him that it was perfectly normal for older men and younger boys in the business to have sexual relations. That it was what all guys do. So they walked off into a secluded area between two trailers. As we take a moment's pause in the middle of our exploration of the dark corners of humanity, let's explore a different kind of mystery. One that takes you back to the roaring 1920s with June's Journey. In this hidden object game, you slip into the role of June Parker, tasked with unraveling the murder mystery of her sister. Each scene is meticulously designed, filled with hidden clues that lead you deeper into a storyline, riddled with danger, romance, and scandalous family secrets. I've personally ventured through the ornate parlors of New York to the charming streets of Paris within this game, each chapter peeling back layers of a complex narrative that's as engaging as it is visually stunning. Beyond just solving mysteries, June's journey invites you to escape into an era of opulence as you build and customize your very own estate island. It's the perfect blend of challenge and relaxation that I find incredibly refreshing, especially after delving into the often intense themes of our podcast. For those of you who thrive on solving puzzles and uncovering stories, June's journey offers a chance to channel your inner detective. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android, step into June's shoes and help her solve the ultimate mystery. Can you uncover the truth behind her sister's tragic demise? Now, let's dive back into our own mysterious journey here on Obscura. Stay tuned and keep your wits about you. During the lunch break for the cast and crew, and Haim, innocent and ambitious as he was, allowed himself to be sodomized. Feldman admitted he had introduced Haim to one of his abusers, former child manager Martin Weiss, during the filming of The Lost Boys. 
He also named another man he would be forced to nickname Burnham, who Feldman also alleged had sexually abused Corey Haim. Of his own abuse, Feldman wrote about the man who had introduced him to hard drugs. I'd taken some pills, some concoctions that Ron had made up. Ron came over, sat down next to me, a triple X magazine in his hands. Ron started touching me, reaching across my thigh to the crotch of my pants. When I woke up, he was on me, touching me, tugging on the zipper of my pants. I realized it was happening, again. Altogether, there were six men named in Feldman's book, alleged to be pedophiles working in the entertainment industry. At the behest of Feldman's publisher, four of these names would have to be changed for legal reasons. When asked after the book's publication why he didn't go to the police, Feldman claimed he had spoken with the police in 1993. However, the investigators were strictly interested in information regarding Feldman's longtime friend Michael Jackson, who had been accused of molesting children at his Neverland ranch. And believe me, the person who molested me, if, if, if this was him, you know, that did that to me, then this would be a different story because I would be out there up front, you know, doing something immediately to have this man uh, given the, the what was due to him. The only alleged abusers Feldman would legally be able to name directly in his memoir were Marty Weiss and Bob Villard. Bob Villard was a photographer and acting coach with a long list of accusations, including transporting child pornography. In 2005, Villard pled no contest to performing a lewd act on a child. He was sentenced to eight years in prison. Marty Weiss had been working as a manager for child actors when, in 2011, one of his victims went to the police after he alleged that Weiss had sexually assaulted him between the ages of 11 and 15. A report from Business Insider states, The victim said Weiss told him, that what they were doing was common practice in the entertainment industry, and if the victim were to tell anyone, it would ruin the victim's career and hurt them both. Weiss pleaded no contest to two charges of oral copulation with a child under the age of 14 in 2012. He was sentenced to a year in prison and five years probation, with the sentence suspended for time served. Corey Feldman's interview regarding his book and some of the sexual abuse he and Corey Haim endured as young actors would inspire a documentary an Open Secret, released in 2015. The film, directed by Amy Berg, would dive into the dark abyss, elaborating on the story of the two abusers named in choreography, Marty Weiss and Bob Villard, as well as naming a number of other industry players who were alleged to have sexually abused teenage actors in Hollywood, which included director Brian Singer. When Ronan Farrow's expose on Harvey Weinstein broke in October 2017, Corey Feldman's story would be back in the spotlight as the Me Too and Time's Up movement began to explode. Feldman was pressured to begin naming names. Feldman agreed to go on television where he first revealed the name John Grissom. Feldman would follow up with Dr. Oz to reveal the name of two more alleged pedophiles described in his book, Alfie and Bobby Hoffman, who hosted exclusive parties for Hollywood teenagers called Alfie's Soda Pop Club. Well, he was the guy who ran Alfie's Soda Pop Club. And uh, I met him when I was 12 years old. He came to my house to pick me up in his car. And I had heard rumors that he threw the coolest parties in town. And he was very connected. And he was the son of Bobby Hoffman, 
who was the top casting director at the time for one of the major studios. That studio ran many of the hit shows that were on TV at the time, from Happy Days to Laverne and Shirley to Mork and Mindy. I mean, all the top shows and many of the shows that I guest appeared on as a kid because I went from one show to the next to the next. So when you got an invite to go to Bobby Hoffman's private party, this was a very big thing. And the fact that his son was coming to pick me up himself was also a very big thing. And my mom ushered me into the car and said, go have fun. And, um, you know, the first few times I went, it was it was fairly innocent. I mean, that's where, you know, if you read my book and you talk about the story where I started dancing like Michael Jackson, I started doing the Billie Jean and they were throwing me the hat and everybody was circling around me. And that's what started my whole music career was going to those parties and getting that feedback from people that happened at those parties. And those parties were relatively kid friendly. Uh, but interestingly, that's where I met you know, the guy that ended up molesting Haim. That's where, I mean, there was a bunch of these guys. They were all hanging out together at these parties. And the thing is, there weren't a lot of parents at the party. There was a lot of kids everywhere. And there was a lot of producer-type guys and Hollywood-type guys. And maybe one or two moms, maybe three moms that kind of chaperoned. But really, there weren't a lot of parents there. Within a week's time, Feldman took to Twitter to tell his supporters he was coming up with a plan to name his abusers without risking the safety of his family. Weeks later, Feldman would reemerge with a crowdfunding campaign for $10 million to produce a movie where he would out all of his and Haim's abusers once and for all and hire round-the-clock security to protect himself and his family from anyone who'd want him dead. I'm very afraid to do this. It's not easy. I've been living in fear and been living with this my entire life. As most victims have, I've been made to feel awkward, misunderstood, and I've been degraded at great levels. Rumors have been told, stories have been made up about me, and I've been insulted and degraded in ways that were unimaginable to me, all because they fear what I know as the truth. And I'm not alone. I know that there's thousands others that have experienced what I've experienced in the entertainment industry. I also know that there's peers of mine who know exactly what I'm talking about and know all the details, but have been afraid to come forward with their own truths. I am using this to draw a line in the sand, to say to the Hollywood community, we are better than this. I know that we can stand together as one. We can be united. And we can create an affront. Within days of the announcement, Feldman was arrested for driving on a suspended license and possession of marijuana while driving his band to a gig in Louisiana. He would be free to go the next day, but members of his band, who he calls his angels, began leaving the group. Feldman says it was because they feared for their lives. But several of his former bandmates came forward to make allegations against Feldman, including sexual harassment and abuse. Feldman's plan would also turn out to be a polarizing one. While some of those following his story generously donated to Feldman's proposed film campaign, others felt that Feldman was guilty of holding the names of pedophiles for ransom. His most outspoken critic would be the mother of the late Corey Haim, who went on a number of talk shows, including Nancy Grace, to speak on her late son's behalf about the allegations Feldman had been making. 
Dominic Brasia had been a familiar name running through the peripheral of the drama between Feldman and Haim. Brasia had allowed Feldman to sleep on his couch during his emancipation from his parents, and claimed to have been friends with Haim for over 25 years. Brasia was claimed to be one of the men who sexually abused Haim by a man named Greg Harrison in 2016. But Brasia claimed that the allegations were revenge for coming to Judy Haim with a recording of her son admitting to use cocaine. Brasia claimed Judy didn't want to hear it. After Feldman revealed the story about Haim being sodomized on the set of Lucas, Brasia told the National Enquirer that it had been Charlie Sheen. Sheen sued the Enquirer for running the story, but dropped the charges in March of 2018. Brasia, who had left acting in the late 1980s to become a talk radio host, passed away at his home in Montana in November of 2018. As the weeks passed, and more people began listening to Judy Haim's allegations of Feldman's fundraising efforts being a scam, Feldman's behavior became more bizarre. You know, these attacks came to damage my reputation, to destroy my credibility. And the funny thing is, every time somebody would attack me, the truth would be revealed a few days later, and then it would all calm down. And then there'd be another attack, and then there'd be more truths revealed, and then it would all calm down. And this happened several times. Feldman would stop promoting the campaign and lower the cost of the film to a tenth of the original campaign goal. But in March of 2018... Feldman called TMZ to meet him at an L.A. hospital to claim he had been stabbed by two men who were part of a group known as the Wolf Pack. Feldman also posted the story to Twitter. I'm in the hospital. I was attacked tonight. A man opened my car door and stabbed me with something. Please say prayers for us all. Thank God it was only myself and my security in the car when three men approached. While security was distracted with a guy, a car pulled up and attacked. I'm okay. The LAPD would follow up on the story, telling reporters Feldman had no noted lacerations. They had no suspected weapon and found no potential suspects. Corey filed a restraining order against people he determined to be members of this group he calls the Wolf Pack, which included a YouTuber named Bobby Wolf, who made a series of videos interviewing Feldman's former bandmates, his ex-wife, several former employees, and Scott Schwartz. Another child actor who is best remembered for his role as the kid who got his tongue frozen to a pole in A Christmas Story, who also spoke out against Feldman's fundraiser. Hi everybody, this is Corey Feldman. I'm coming to you with a brand new video. I didn't plan on making another one of these videos and I was quite frankly hoping I wouldn't have to. The campaign after all ended, what, three months ago? And... uh once it ended, I figured I would be done with this and all this harassment, the targeted harassment, would stop. But it hasn't stopped. In fact, it's intensified. This group of people has been taunting and terrorizing us on a daily basis. They call themselves the Wolf Pack. And they're out there making these scandalous, sensational, lying videos about me, about my wife, and about the whole situation. And not only that, it's not just the videos, but we get blackmail threats, we get threats that they're going to make up lies and go to the Time's Up lawyers. We get threats that they're going to take me to the labor board for money that's not owed to them. It's a continuous ball of perpetuated lies that they just keep making up to try and paint some picture that I'm this terrible person. Okay, so I want to start off by giving you guys the facts of the situation surrounding the stabbing that happened last week. I want to be very clear because there's been some things that have been misconstrued in the media 
and my wife and I want to set the record straight by putting all the details out there so you guys can understand what's really happening and judge for yourselves. First of all, there has been a lie that has been strewn about saying that I was never, uh, I was attacked, but there was no flesh wound and that I was not penetrated and that there's no, you know, laceration. These are all lies. They're unequivocal lies. Now, I sent a video to TMZ showing that the police were identifying the mark, that they were photographing the mark, and that they were using a, a little slider measurer thing to see how the width and the, 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 the depth of the mark were, okay? Obviously, it's a small mark. We're not questioning that, but it does exist, and I want you all to know that. So I've brought forth this paperwork. Now, I want you to understand something. There's something called the HIPAA regulations. The HIPAA regulations basically state that no medical facility is allowed to show my medical results to the media, to any request from any personal person. It just doesn't work that way. They're not allowed to. It's illegal. So... First of all, anybody that's claiming that they've got results back and that I'm good to go and I'm safe is a lie, okay? They can't do that, and it can't be in the police report either because the specific things that I was tested for that we're most concerned with, such as if a disease was put into my body or uh, some kind of poison, those things don't even show up for anywhere from two to five months in your body, okay? So there's no way. We could have those results because they don't exist. Secondly, the poisons that we're most worried about, if I was injected, are both untraceable and irreversible. We'll get more into that in a minute. But for now, I wanted to show you the exact paperwork from the night that I went into the hospital. As you can see, we went to Kaiser Permanente. Here's the date that we were there. On top of it, I want to take you down to here where it says today's visit. The reason for the visit was a stab wound. The diagnosis, puncture wound of abdominal wall. On top of that, these are the lab tests that they took to see what was in my body and what wasn't. And the date was on the 27th, last Tuesday. Correct. Well, actually, that was Wednesday morning. On top of it, we also have all of this stuff up here, which says, please start to medicate for HIV preparation. Okay, within 72 hours, which means in case there was HIV on the needle, they already did the test. They already proved that I don't have HIV in my system at this time. But again, those results would take six months to show up. So they gave me some medicine to prevent the HIV from ever starting, but it would make me sick for a month. So I choose chose not to take that medicine, letting you all know. Okay, on top of all that, we also have a witness who notified us that they had tried to reach out to the police, but they never got an interview. My lawyer spoke with that witness. The witness is a fire engineer who works at the local fire station that happened to see the event. And it was seen by him and another engineer and a captain at that fire station. So we have three witnesses who saw the event take place and we're hoping that the police will be talking to them very soon. On top of that, there may be some video surveillance footage of the event as it took place. So there's that. Additionally, I want everybody to know that I'm taking all of this information, gathered with information that I've been collecting for months. Mazaris Feldman's antics seem he became an ambassador for our think tank called Child USA and spoke in Albany in support of the Child's Victims Act. 
which would extend the statute of limitations in crimes involving sex against children in the state of New York. 30 years ago, when I first told the police about what happened to me as a child, 30 years ago, when I first told the police that my best friend was raped as a child and had never gotten his life back, and because of that, as a result of that, his life was tarnished and traumatized to the point where he ended up taking his own life. At the early age of 38, due to the trauma caused to him because of selfish child predators. Let me tell you, there is no way to get that life back. We cannot bring it back from a bill. We cannot bring it back from creating legislation. But we today can stand together in the face of this atrocity and we can work together as one to protect the children of our future. We must preserve innocence. We must preserve the innocence of our child. The bill would pass in January of 2019. Feldman was last spotted at Sundance where he said he was taking along a rough cut of his documentary based on his book Choreography. He's hoping to find financial backers and distributors. You know, listener, with more allegations coming to light seemingly every day against people like Kevin Spacey, Brian Singer, R. Kelly, and so many others, it seems the public is ready to hold people accountable for their actions. If Corey Feldman releases his documentary, as promised, I can't help but wonder, will it be worth all the hype, or is the information Corey Feldman can provide just another drop in the bucket compared to the rest of the iceberg? that is bound to be uncovered within the coming months. And that's it for this week. I'm working on Black Label 4 as you're listening to this. If you'd like to get access to Black Label, check out our Patreon. The second episode might single-handedly be the most important episode we've made, as well as the most disturbing. Oh, and before you go, I'm thinking about doing a giveaway soon. I just gotta gauge the interest. So keep an eye out for that. Thank you for listening, and keep the fire burning. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.